0: All right, good morning, everybody. So good to see all your smiling faces this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm one of the pastors here at WCC, and I am just so, um, I'm just so excited to continue on here in our series in Luke, as you just heard, uh, 5, 12 through 26. So we as people, we tend to be fascinated by miraculous things. And it makes sense because they're out of the ordinary. They're, they're weird. They're special. We will go out of our way to be a part of things that seem miraculous. People will go see movies that have to do with miracles. They'll, they'll go and be a part of it in any way that they can because it brings this sensation of, of awe. It brings amazement. Wow, I've never seen that before. That's so cool. But one area this definitely rings true in is healing. We'll go out of our way, not just to see something miraculous, but to listen to a good story about someone being healed. To hear about that moment that changed someone's life where where they saw God change it. They saw someone be healed of a sickness, of, of cancer, whatever it is. So much so with this, I'm sure most of you know that there was a massive movement starting in 1946 where huge groups would gather together and the preacher, with this so-called power, he would bring people up and would miraculously heal the masses. People came from far and wide to be a part of what was happening in that. And more recently, this was a huge trend for televangelists. I'm not going to say names. You, you all probably have someone's name in your head right now. But these televangelists, they, they would say that they had this power of the Holy Spirit. And they would bring people up and throw them on the ground and poof, they're healed. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that God doesn't heal people today, because I firmly believe that God can do and does do whatever he wants for his name to be praised. He'll do whatever he wants for the gospel to be revealed. But I think we so desperately want to see something. I think we so desperately want proof and more than anything, comfort in our physical bodies that We'll go out of our ways to seek this out and be a part of what we think is healing, just as the people in Jesus' time did as well. Losing sight of the most important aspect, which is not necessarily the miraculous healing. It's not necessarily the relief of the temporal pain on this earth. It's the healer who we're going to see today, brings, out, brings about physical healing, but more importantly, another type of healing. The healer who came to restore the broken dead spirit. He came to heal the broken dead spirit, and he's using this physical healing as a tool to prove who he said he was and the message that he came to bring. It can easily be about the physical temporal healing. That again, he does care about, but more importantly is the spiritual. When my sister-in-law was a kid, she was a part of one of these churches that was wrangled up in the healing movement. This was a church where they said, okay, if you're broken and we bring you up to this stage and say you're healed, but you're not healed, then you're not actually saved. If you come up here and whatever it is, whatever ailment you have doesn't go away, you don't have enough faith and you're not saved. Well, one day she broke her ankle. The church found out about it. And so, of course, they're going to bring her up to heal her. So she limped up to the stage. She got up there. The pastor, with all his might, declared, You are healed. And so she smiled. Everyone's clapping. Woo, yay, you're healed. And as she's walking down, she's just smiling as much as she can while on the inside she's just crying and cringing because she was walking on a broken ankle still. But she didn't want anyone to know this because then that means she's not saved, right? That that means that if the physical didn't happen, then the spiritual must not be there. And so she had to fake it for the sake of the church, not thinking she didn't have enough faith. Now I'm sure you're all thinking, wow, that's pretty messed up. And yes, it is, but I believe maybe not to this extent, but sometimes can be each of us. In the midst of pain and trial, in the midst of hardship and the temporal brokenness, we can seek the healing first and the healer second. And if the physical healing doesn't come for us, for our friends, for our families, it can potentially send us into a spiral of unbelief and blaming God. For her, it was a church that if they didn't see physical results, there must be a spiritual problem. But the truth is, from the model Jesus is bringing us today, it's the need to address the spiritual problem, physical relief or not. Physical relief does not equal spiritual restoration. This morning, as we continue on our series in Luke, we're going to see this upside-down perspective of healing. That's what I titled the sermon today, The Upside-Down Perspective of Healing, brought to us by the Upside-Down King. We're gonna be thrust into this idea that temporal healing is not as important as true spiritual healing. And what I want you to walk away with today is how Jesus flips the script with the illustration of forgiveness through healing, in verses 12 through 16, and the priority of forgiveness through healing. We're going to see in 17 through 26, the illustration and the priority. That at the end of the day, Jesus cares, as I said before, deeply for our physical restoration and needs, but the true focus should be on Jesus, the healer who came to bring spiritual healing. And as I've been working through, as I've been studying this passage, it's become more and more clear. It's become more evident in my life that I can focus on the temporal. That sometimes in my focus on the temporal, I start to lose sight of the eternal. In this focus, I can laser in on my comfort. And I can lose sight of those around me. I can lose sight of those around me that have needs physically, but also that have these needs spiritually. I can get so caught up in in just the moment on being on this earth with its pain, with its hardship, that the healer and what he brought can just take a back seat. I pray that as we go through this time, seeing the illustration of forgiveness through healing, seeing the priority of forgiveness through healing, we will all desire to model our lives after Christ. Caring for the temporal needs of the world with a deep desire to point people to the cross in the midst of it. Remembering that the gospel enables us to seek the healer over the healing. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. God, I just want to thank you for this time we get to come together. God, we get to worship you in song. We get to worship you and and just opening your word and seeing what you have for us today. And God, I pray as we go through this time that you would truly remind us of who you are. Jesus, that you would remind us of what it is you came to do. I pray that we would just so desperately want to worship you, knowing that you gave it all up for us, that you are the true healer, not just physically, but especially spiritually. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't yet, please open up your Bibles to Luke 5. We're starting again, verse 12. It says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So as we start our verses for this morning, we're dropped directly into a city where we find Jesus, and it says a man full of leprosy. It doesn't just say he kind of, sort of had leprosy. It says he was full, head to toe, this man had leprosy. And I think for us to really grasp the story today, I think it would be good for us to understand this disease that the man approached Jesus with. Because once we understand that, we'll see the extreme importance of the man's comments and Jesus' response, seeing the incredible illustration of forgiveness and healing, which is our main point our first main point. So if you didn't know, leprosy is a horrific ailment that affects the nervous system. It's not just the skin condition. It actually affects the nervous system. And for the most part, the disease was so destructive that it not only physically disfigured the individuals affected, but because of the impact on the nervous system, there would be a complete loss of feeling and body parts resulting in uh, how do you say it? Body parts not being there anymore. <laughs> it's a terrible disease. Now, when we look at the biblical terms of this, leprosy is a little bit broader than that, than we know of it today. And it's the Hebrew serath, which included uh, just a variety of different ailments. And it's all over the place. We'll see it in Leviticus, where it's just primarily referred to as uncleanness. It's imperfections according to biblical standards. It's a person with any scaly skin blemish, anything like that that affected the skin was seroth. So as we look at this passage, it's good together to understand the severity of the disease being referenced, but also the severity of what a typical leper's life was like at that time. Bringing us to a deeper understanding of this upside down Jesus with his upside-down practices, the true healer bringing true healing. The true healer bringing a powerful illustration of a life without him and a life with him. So again, leprosy as a whole consisted of any skin ailment that would make an individual unclean according to the law. So Leviticus 13, all 59 verses of it, I'm not gonna read them all to you. I think you get really bored really fast. But all 59 verses of it lay out extreme details of what a leper is. There's a lot to it. And then it takes us to Leviticus chapter 14, the whole chapter, where the entirety of it is how these lepers were cleansed, with the end game being a lot of processes a lot of information on how unclean they truly are and the idea of them needing to be removed from society because of this. So Josephus, the Jewish historian, summed it up by saying that leopards were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. They were dead men walking. To the rabbis, the cure of a leper was as difficult as raising someone from the dead. With the breakdown of all of it, for this individual where the disease doesn't go away, in Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, that says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So as we see from this passage in Leviticus, an unclean person wasn't just an outcast, but they were actually removed from society. This person was banished outside the walls of the city, living completely alone. Being forced to stay isolated all the days of his unclean life. I want you to ponder this aspect as we continue on. Really think through this aspect of being an outcast, being put outside the walls of the gate. Anyone unclean is removed from society, is isolated. So these people in their isolation, they weren't supposed to interact with anybody. They were supposed to scream, unclean, unclean, anytime someone would come near them. Just so the world would know, okay, stay away from that guy. Don't get near him. And if the isolation and the screaming didn't work, and someone got close enough to touch them or accidentally touched them, it says in Leviticus that the person who even touched them is unclean. These people were isolated, unloved, and untouched. Now let's circle back to our account for today. So this information takes the story to a whole new level. Not only did this man in his leprous condition approach Jesus, which again would have been a big no-no, he approached him in the city meaning that he left his isolation to seek him out, which would have been a really big no-no. And not only that, he's not screaming unclean, unclean, like he was supposed to. Instead, he falls on his face in reverence to the one true healer. And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a profound statement. It's profound because this man doesn't say, Jesus, heal me. In faith, he says, I know you can heal me if it's in your will. I know that you can do it. This church family is where the illustration rubber meets the road. So we see this man standing before the true physician, head to toe, covered in disease, understanding his need for healing, having true faith Jesus can heal, cries out, if it be your will, heal me, Lord. This man was banished, kicked out, unclean, knew he needed to be rescued. So back in the garden, we as humanity were banished. We were kicked out of the camp, covered from head to toe in proverbial leprosy that leprosy being sin. This sin that that covers us, that decays us, that destroys us, and we desperately need healing. We desperately need the true healer to bring us back. We all, from the beginning of our lives, have a death sentence because there's this disease that's eating us away. But as we continue in this illustration, we get to see the mind-blowing reality of this true healer. With a true compassion for the physical needs of humanity, but a fiery passion for us spiritually. Verse 13, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So right here, Jesus did the unspeakable. He could have just said from a distance, Hey, buddy, hey, thanks, be clean. You stay over there. But instead, he does something so countercultural. He reaches out and touches the unclean man. So, again, this act, according to Leviticus, would immediately contaminate the person who does the touching. would so make him unclean immediately. But Jesus changes everything in this moment. He reverses it. He doesn't become unclean, but he changes it and he makes the man clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. And didn't just kind of, sort of make him clean. He was completely pure. Going back to this man who was a leper, Completely unworthy, unclean, kicked out, banished, unwelcome, untouchable, but Jesus reached out. Just as he does for us leprous, sinful people if we put our faith and trust in him. This illustration is powerful. By what Jesus came to do at that time, giving us a clear and concise example in what we know he did for us now when we see the healer for who he is. The one who came to this horrible place, living perfectly, dying horrifically, taking on this metaphorical leprosy, which is sin, rising again, defeating the destructive disease and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Who we can approach through faith and trust in him. When we see that we're completely broken, in need of his saving grace, bowing our knee in submission to the only one who can rescue, we're fully restored. The disease is no longer eating us alive. And from this restoration, we're able to re enter society like the leper was. We're able to be back in a right relationship with our Creator able to be a part of his family forever. I love that it's such a cool visual of the truth of the healer who came to heal. Not just physically, but most importantly, spiritually. Continue on, verse 14. And he charged them to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus charging people not to tell about specific miracles is all over Scripture. And the reason he did this was because he didn't want his message to be lost in the miracles. But the message to be affirmed by the miracles. As we're going to see here in the next story in a second. In this verse though, we see something pretty cool. That being Jesus sending the man to the priest's. This follows through with what Leviticus 13, 1 through 46 says regarding the law about lepers. They were to go back to the priests to show that they were clean, to show that they were healed, and then the priests were the ones to say, congratulations, go back into society. He was able to come back to the camp. He was restored and able to reenter. Again, the perfect illustration of forgiveness and healing. The physical is healed with the spiritual restoration on display. And another interesting tidbit is that Jesus didn't just disregard the law here, but as with all things, came to fulfill the law. And after doing this, though, according to Mark, if you look at the parallel verses in Mark, the man disobeyed Jesus. He said, hey, hey, buddy, please don't go. Don't go spreading this around. Go to the priests. Go back into society. But I mean, come on. If you just got healed of leprosy that was head to toe, and Jesus is like, "Ah, don't tell anybody. I feel like I'd do the same thing. Be like, I mean, that's cool you said that and all, but I'm going to tell everybody because, I mean, look, this is pretty crazy. So in Mark, it says that in this guy's excitement, He went and told everyone and their mom. It wasn't just like, uh, hey, buddy, check out. No, it was like, I'm going to tell the world what Jesus did, which makes verse 15 make more sense. It says, but now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Wow. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So word spread all over this place of this Jesus who was healing. And people were coming from far and wide to seek him out. Again, just like all of us, fascinated by this idea of the miraculous. With Jesus bringing to play the upside-down healing, these people weren't expecting. It's the healer over the healing. A deep care for spiritual needs with the most important being the spiritual Physical needs, spiritual. And in this, it actually brings another upside down model for us to follow. It's just a little tiny blurb. But it's talking about that there's all these crowds coming. Jesus is healing left and right. He's doing all these things. But then in that little blurb, it says he goes away. He goes away to a desolate place and prays. No matter what no matter how many people or how much of a mission needs to be accomplished, it's always necessary to seek the Lord, to be with the Lord, to build our relationship with the Lord. It's in those times of craziness that we need to seek him the most because this is the most important relationship in our lives. So from the ecstatic, now-healed leper, Who was able to re enter the Jewish society being healed? Came an increase in people wanting to see Jesus and hear what he had to say. But even with these demands, Jesus shows us this model and goes away and prays. There always should be dedicated time of prayer in the midst of it all. Then goes into verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So as this continues, we see a really interesting scene. So you have Jesus in a house with the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the most influential people religiously at the time. From every village. So we talked about like the word of him went far and wide. It says every village Pharisees and scribes came to see Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So I, I would say this is one of my favorite stories of people trying to get to Jesus in the Bible. Because I really, I want you to imagine this for me. Put yourself in the shoes of this paralytic. So your buddies put you on a stretcher. Because they're like, I, we're going to get you to Jesus. We're going to get you there. They know he can heal. They have faith he can heal. So they're going to get him there. They get to the house, and there's no possible way to get in. There's all these scribes and Pharisees everywhere. Oh, man, what are we supposed to do? So obviously, the next move would be, well, there's a ladder on the side of the house, right? Yeah, let's go to the ladder. Okay, so we we found the ladder. Now let's figure out how to get this paralytic up, up the ladder onto this roof. Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. That's a solid first step. And then... Next step, let's rip a hole in the roof that we just got on top of. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a great idea. And at that time, there weren't really that many options for roofs. It was either you had thick slabs of baked mud, or if you were fancy, you had some really nice tiles of baked mud. So again, there weren't very many options, but these men had so much faith that they figured out a way to get through those tiles of baked mud. And then this, this last step. Yeah, okay. So we got up here. We ripped a hole in the roof. Now let's lower him down some. I mean, did they have a pulley system that they put together? I don't know. Like, what kind of ropes were they using so he wouldn't fall on his face? Either way. Honestly, after being on a retreat for four days with high schoolers, this sounds like a high school boy kind of plan. Like, this is... Like every aspect of it just, it falls right in line with that. But at the end of the day, it was well worth it because once in front of Jesus, it says in verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. The paralytic must have been like, yes, I'm here. There's Jesus. He's right here. Sorry, he can't move his arms. Yes, there's Jesus. He's right there. He's going to heal me. He's going to, and then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, wait, hold on, what? So I just went through this roof, and I'm not going to actually be, my sins are forgiven. I'm not healed. How is this healing me? And church, I think this is the point that Jesus was trying to make. In this priority of forgiveness through healing, the priority of forgiveness through healing. This is our second point, priority of forgiveness. This is the way that we should see the healer and the way that he heals. He deals with the most important aspect first, the most devastating brokenness in each of us without him. He deals with healing the sinfulness of man. By their faith, the man was truly healed. In our first story, we saw the illustration And in this, we see the priority of what he heals first. By their faith and trust in Christ, the most important healing took place, which is spiritual healing and what he came to do. Verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I love this because the Pharisees are absolutely right. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can heal the spiritual, not just the physical. And guess what? That is exactly who just forgave this man's sins. This is an intense moment in Jesus' ministry. Because in front of the religious world, don't forget that all the Pharisees and scribes are sitting in front of Jesus right now from every village. In front of the religious world, he claims what would be complete and utter blasphemy if it wasn't true, that he is in fact God. Jesus is claiming full deity in this moment. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or who he said he was. And that's the case here. This is the moment where humanity took a deep breath because this was either truly their savior or some blaspheming lunatic. This is either the true healer who came or this is just some magician that figured out a way to do this. With Jesus' response being perfect as usual, verse 22 When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. So Jesus perceives what they're thinking. He's reading these guys' minds and he knows how they see him. He knows what they're thinking. And he responds with this question, which is easier, to heal the spirit or to heal the body? And in this, he goes, okay, fine. I'll prove it to you by doing both of them. How about that? And he looks at the guy and goes, okay, get up, man. Go. Walk home. To prove to you I am God, not only did I just forgive this man's sins, but I'm healing you physically as well. What an incredible response to them. But the best part is Jesus' priorities. He, from the get-go, prioritizes healing the spiritual through their faith before addressing the physical. Again, does he care about our physical needs? Absolutely. But the physical is not necessarily the priority. From this, the true physician tells him to get up and go home. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, went home glorifying God in amazement, seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So at the end of both these accounts, we see the witnesses to the miracle responding with awe and wonder. They were glorifying God for what he had done Done. They saw extraordinary things that day, but did they actually understand the gravity of what just took place? Do we understand the gravity of what took place? Jesus' first and foremost response is to heal the ultimate sickness. In both these accounts, it's clear and evident with the illustration from the leper and the priority from the paralytic. And from these accounts, the true healer gives us the true model to live by. That we should, yes, desire to love and care for others by addressing temporal needs, but ultimately our goal should be focused on the spiritual, not just the temporal. If we give bread to the homeless, but don't tell them about the bread of life, are we doing them a disservice? If we help someone get healthy but don't point them to Jesus in that time, are we truly helping them? If we focus our attention only on the physical, we lose sight of the model presented to us today. Church, let's not lose sight of the truth about the healer who came to restore. Not just the physical, but most importantly, the spiritual. As I said at the beginning, this has been a convicting passage for me because in my flesh, I can do the opposite of the model that Jesus presented today. I can care too much about myself. I can care too much about what I want that I lose perspective of what Jesus was doing. Having deep compassion for people by helping take care of their temporal needs. And from this compassion for the temporal needs, The push to share the ultimate need in our lives. The need for a savior. Like my sister-in-law experienced with my story at the beginning, we can potentially get caught up in the physical healing movement. Sometimes thinking that if our prayers aren't answered and the physical isn't fixed, we don't have enough faith. We're not truly saved. And I can tell you today, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ physically healed or not, you have been healed. And one day you truly will be physically healed when we spend eternity with our creator, where moth and rust don't destroy, where there's no tears and pain, the ultimate healing of our spiritual leprosy. Let's not lose sight of the necessity to be the hands and feet of Christ living out the example that he gave us. Take time to build relationships with people, to show them the love of Christ, begging for gospel opportunities. Let's remind each other of the true physician. As we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, let's preach the gospel to each other, reminding of this physician who came to heal and brings ultimate healing through the cross showing his never-ending love for us. Remember, the gospel enables us to seek the healer over the healing. And from this illustration of forgiveness and healing and the priority of forgiveness and healing, we can together follow the model of Christ laid out before us today. Let's pray. God, again, you are so good. You are great. You are greatly to be praised. And thank you for your words. Thank you for this account. Uh, I feel like at times we could probably just read and just and skip over it, thinking how wonderful it is that you, that you healed and restored, but God, that we can, we can see so clearly the need for the, the spiritual restoration, that we need you to heal us. God, I pray if there's anyone in here today that has not truly put their faith and trust in you, that is still, is still dying from that leprous disease of sin, God, that you would just uh, open their eyes. God, you would open their eyes. You would take the scales off their eyes so they can see you. God, and for those of us that have put our faith in you, that you would ignite that flame in us to be there for others, to build relationship with others, and ultimately, Lord God, to spiritually desire to point them to you. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name.